The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. I'd like to thank the Global Mission Board and Dr. Tays for this invitation. What an honor to be with you this week. Let me briefly introduce the theme of the week to you. Every time you talked about mission, at least in my heart, I always felt that it's not just out there. You know, sometimes people say, well, mission is so far away. But I really felt that mission starts in the heart of God, and it's in my heart. It has to come from our heart first. And then as a missionary, as a pastoral staff, and also serve on the board of Send, I feel that it's start with our heart, but the local church has a very important place in missions. So I would like to um, introduce the theme to you this week, uh, today and for this week. I imagine some of us at least have heard people change the world after they saw the needs, after they encountered situation, that they wanted to make a difference in people's life, and so they would pour themselves into a project, a task, or people, invest everything they have, and eventually because of their passion, because of their perseverance and plans, they actually made changes in the world that they lived in. And I think it was remarkable. But for all, all of us, most of us, we didn't change the world that way, at least in that, on that scale. But all of us, I believe, that some way have a desire to change, to impact the world around us. We may impact, I do believe we may impact wherever we are, whether it may be positive or negative. As I consider Christ's followers who live in this world, I often think that as followers of Jesus Christ, we call to be salt and light wherever God places us. Our world changes in the season, in the circumstances of our lifetime. However, the mandate that Christ gave us remained the same, to love our God, to love our church, and to love the world around us. To be effective in impacting the world around us in Christ-like ways, we must experience God's love first and learn to love him with all of our hearts all of our being, so that God's love can flow from us to other people. And we also need to remember the body of Christ is a very essential part of our Christian life. And because our, we experience God's love, we're in the body of Christ, and together we are encouraged in, the, in that community, we are encouraged and equipped to love those around us, to love the world passionately and generously. Learning to love is the vital path to impacting our world and to live out the gospel, the Great Commission, to make disciples of our nation. In the next three chapel, I would like to share with you some of the lessons God has taught me in my life and my mission involvement journey. What I have seen, heard, experienced, and then offer some encouragement for you to consider impacting your world by loving God, by loving your God, by loving your church, and by loving the world around you. Today we begin by looking at loving your God 
In Mark 12, 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. This, um, there is no commandment greater than this. If I were to ask any believer if he or she loves God, I believe I will have various answers, and perhaps mostly yes, I do think believers want to love God, and each one of our expression and degree in loving him could be various. We hear Christ say to us from these verses to give our all to love him, to love him with everything we have, with every ounce of energy that we have. And he calls that loving him and loving our neighbors as ourselves the great commandment. Before we go further, let's commit this time to the Lord and invite the Spirit to speak with us. Father, we thank you as you, have, as you give us the great commandment in loving you and loving others. You also give us the Spirit to teach and enable us to love, to give us the strength and grace to keep loving. And in the process, we strive to love you and others with joy and without reservations. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus quoted these verses, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 and Leviticus 19.80, which were written in Hebrew, the conversation between the Pharisees and Jesus in the, in the passage in Mark was probably in Aramaic. The disciple who heard the conversation later on wrote it in Greek, you can see the confusion, three could be three languages here. So the linguistic and cultural aspect of these verses help us understand why the two Old Testament verses were three dimensions, um, heart, soul, and might, or strength. Yet in the New Testament, there are, account, there are four dimensions, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In the Hebrew culture, soul and mind intelligence are part of the same thing, but in the Greek culture, they were considered two very different things. First of all, let's consider to love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Bible refers the heart over 600 times. It is the center of a person's emotions, will, and conscience. The Bible speaks of guarding our hearts. The heart is very important to God, and he wants our heart to be his, while the world tried to compete them. A heart that is fully devoted to God and will be a heart whose life aligns with God's plans and purpose. Perhaps that is why God said the great commandment is to love him and to love others. It's the great, it's the great, it's the great one. Um, because he knows that when he has our heart, he would have everything else too. 
Deaf world come, comments that loving God with all our heart means making him our greatest treasure, valuing our relationship with him, with Jesus, more than anything else in our lives. Then to love the Lord our God with all our soul. The Hebrew concept of soul including the mind, the will, and the emotion. John Arbert in Soul Keeping states that your soul is what integrates, what connects, what binds together your will, then your mind. Those thoughts, feelings, and desire going on all the time. And then your body with all the appetites, habits, and behavior. Then to love the Lord, your God, with your mind, means loving him with reason and intellect and knowledge and understanding. It increased study and making wise choices what we think about. We must carefully choose what we will allow our minds to dwell on. And whatever we choose will end up in our hearts. Paul exhorts us in Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Dr. Williams' first message in the series of Think on These Things two weeks ago reminded us that we must direct our thoughts, our mind to think and be intentional about what we think. We must maintain a biblical mindset in this world. We must guard our mind, exercise our mind, and encourage and edify our mind. The last part is the love, love the Lord your God with all your strength. It means loving him in words and deeds, in everything we do, honoring him with everything we have, our time, our talents, and our treasure. As I ponder on loving the Lord our God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength, the Lord directed my thought to my heart, Christ's home, where Robert Boymonger uses nine rooms in the house to illustrate how each aspect of our life needs to be brought more in tune with Christ. And I like to adapt that concept for our talk, our consideration this morning. It begins, with, it begins with the study. This room is small. This room is also called the library. The study of the mind. This room is small with thick wall, but it's a very important one. Munger said, this is the control room of the house. What do we keep in this room? The, the library, the study of our mind, the magazine and book we read, the internet pages we click and view, in the privacy of your dorm room, on your phone, in the, uh, on your computer, laptop, are whatever you feel true, good, pure, and helpful. Can you say that you love the Lord your God in the study of your mind? The next room is dining room. Everyone loves dining room. <laughs> this room is bigger. It's perhaps a favorite room of many people. It's the room of appetites and desires, which are not necessarily wrong. I love to, you know, people say, I love, you know, people love buffet. 
You can go through down the line and choose what you want. All these appetites and desire in our heart are not necessarily wrong, but are they aligned with God's principles? As are they His plans and purpose? Two weeks ago, as we spent some time to debrief Urban attendees, some of the students were saying that sharing what God taught them, what God showed them in the conference. And a few of the students wonder, do I have to drop all my plan to follow God? Do you feel that you have to drop all your plans to follow God? We all have appetites and desire of our heart, but are they your plan or are they God's plan? Plans are fine. The scripture also encourages us to make plans. But are they God's plan or your plan? I often remind parents of our church that telling your children to study hard so that they can get into good schools and that they can find good jobs and have a good life is not wrong, but is it biblical? As followers of Christ, our desire ought to align with God's desire. Now we move to the living room. This is comfortable, a comfortable, quiet, secluded, and delightful room. You may have enjoyed the fellowship time with the Lord in his word and in prayer in the early days, early years of your Christian life. But as life goes on, with your busy and demanding schedule, your time with him will shorten, and sometimes you even skip being with him. One of the challenges we face in 21st century is that we are too busy. This is not just for adults, it's not for, just for young adults. I saw for the children worship one time, we meet at 9.45, and then, you know, around 9.40, this one 10-year-old walked in, and he, his hair is wet, and I say, how are you doing? And Matthew said, I am so tired, and I'm so busy. And I say, Matthew, it's only 9.45. Matthew said, I got up at 6 o'clock to go swimming. And then he said, I also need to leave early, too. We end at 11, 10.45. And the challenge we face this day is we are too busy. A short-termer shared that how he enjoyed two hours daily devotion while he went on the trip. His effort was commendable, but if you don't begin to build your habits of spending time with him now, and just wish that one day when you go on mission trip, you can spend two hours having your devotions. I can assure you, even when you get the two hours on the field, that will not last long. I like what someone said, make habits, not resolutions. Then we need to move to the workroom. It's a room well furnished, but not much was produced. The materials were available, but not being used. Plans are laid out, but not followed. You go in there when you feel like it, but not regularly. God has given each one of us, each one of you, gifts and ability. Put those in the hands, put those in his hand and let him use it. Because when you allow the Holy Spirit, the master maker, to control your heart and your hands, he will make work, 
He will produce work through you and give you long-lasting fruit. The break room is a room for fun. Would you in invite or welcome the Lord there? Will you think he will be pleased with the kind of fun that you and I have? Then the bedroom. This is a room God designed for the marriage people to enjoy their love together. A place bonds two lives in deepening love. It has tremendous potential for good when you use this room properly. When used improperly, it destroys the good. The family room. This is a room could include more people rather than still sitting empty, or only a selected few are welcome. God's family includes many people from different languages, cultures, ages, and interests. Open the family room in your life to reach out, to welcome others who are not like us so that they can experience the love of Christ, see the gospel, and hear the gospel. The kitchen. This is a room that needs help from everyone in order to nourish others. You need to pitch in to help in order other family members uh, be fed. <clears throat> your neighbors, your strangers that you don't know, we can work together in the kitchen so that we can serve them. For each, of the, each believer, each follower of Christ, we have gifts from the Lord to use it for the building up of the body of Christ. And in working together as a team, we can grow the body stronger and healthier. I can tell you that sometimes it's wonderful to work alone, but that's not God's design. God put us together, and I will share you with you more uh, the next chapel, but God put us together for iron sharpening iron. We need to work together, be together, and work together as a team so that others will be blessed. The last one, the wall causes, the hallway causes. I have a friend, every time when they have company, and this friend of mine will just open up the hallway closet, stuff everything in. It looks very nice, the rest of the house. But this hallway closet usually is a very tiny place. Perhaps you keep your past, perhaps you keep your secret that you don't want other people to see or to know. But Christ wants to have access of that little space so he can perch, clean, and fix up and make a place of fragrance and fresh and useful. When we sincerely want to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, I believe we need to allow him to have access of every part of our life. What does it look like in practical daily life as you consider loving God with your, all your heart, with your, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength? Let me offer four areas for you to consider. First of all, offer your life with open hands to God. One time a young woman told me that she considered short-term mission that she would give God one year of her life. I actually heard a speaker in a mission conference challenge people to give a year of their life to mission. That's great, one year of your life, wonderful. But I think I have 
I understand what this speaker meant, but I have a little trouble how to add that up. One year of my life, do I take out a calendar? When I go on 10 days, I check 10 days. And then next time I go for two weeks, I check two weeks. And then stop when I reach 365 days. Paul in 1 Corinthians 16.20 said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, at a price. He also said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When we recognize that everything I have is not mine, my rights, my plans, my time, my resources, and my life are all belong to God. And he has the right to use it whatever way and for however long he sees fit. When we realize that, it really frees us. You know, I, when I came back from the field in 2001, one of the first things I heard all the time, even th these days, people kept on saying, we have right, we are Americans, we have right. And I do believe we are, we are in a nation, from a nation that have all the rights. But once we become a child of God, those rights are not ours anymore. Those rights belong to God. Am I willing to give up my right for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel? In 2009, June 2009, a friend of, who has served in the Middle East Facebook messaged me and asked if I'm interested to help a young Egyptian of 25 years old who was a mobilizer of Egyptian doctor to go out in the 1040 region. RW has a heart but lack of ministry and mission experience. And this friend of mine thought that perhaps I could help. So long story short, after we connected, six months after that, in a big snowstorm, I supposed to fly to Cairo to meet this friend. But I never met him before I got there. And so since then, since 2010, I've been going to Egypt a number of times. I was there right after the first revolution but there were still protests, there were still tents in the Tahrir Square. I was there during the second revolution and the situation was so tense. Every time I come back from Middle East, Lebanon, or places seemingly dangerous, my friend would say to me, we're so glad that you, came, you come home in one piece. And I'm thankful that they pray for my safety. One day a thought really hit me. What if one day I come home in pieces? Not one piece, but pieces. Or what if I come home in a box? Would that change my mind of going to places where God wants me to go? Would my commitment to God by offering my life to him with open hand change? Because that, that may mean I may die. The Lord does not promise us safety when we follow him. But he promised us his presence and his peace. I think it is easier to say we love God when everything is smooth going, when God blesses us. But our offer of our lives to him ought not to be like a transaction. You do this 
and I do that. I lived in Asia for many years. Now, at the beginning, I just hate bargaining. I, th I just thought, if you just tell me a price, I give it done. But the haggling and the back and forth, the bargaining, sometimes I feel like we as believers, we bargain with God all the time. God, you do this, I'll do this. But our offering our life to God should ought to be without any conditions or reservations. Offering every part of my life with open hands ought to be a daily surrender before God. Second, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 reminded us that. So make the time, read the word, meditate the word, memorize the word, apply the word. This takes intentionality and discipline, especially in a very distracting world. Devotion books, devotional books are good, but we need the word itself. Have a reading plan. Ask someone to hold you accountable. We are still in the first month, today 28. We're still in the first month of the year to get into reading the word of God consistently and, faith and faithfully. I enjoy reading the Bible in different versions, NIV Worship Bible, NIV Leadership Bible, and Serenity, New Testament for Group, One Year Chronological Bible, and ESV. In the last few years, I decided to read each Bible book, start with a shorter one, and read it each chapter every day for a week and let the word of God sink in. I often read the Bible and listen to the same chapter audio online because I found that sometimes my eyes go through the pages of the Bible, but as soon as I close the Bible, I remember nothing. And because I found that sometimes just reading, just, just reading doesn't really sink in. I don't, um, so I don't remember much. So I want to engage my reading with my senses as I read. My reading, hearing, and also reading out loud sometimes. It helped, it helped me to focus better. When I read and listen to the scripture at the same time, I need to exercise discipline and resist the urge not to check email when ding, you know, when I hear the ding, or when I see the Facebook page pop up, notification pop up. Something was said that there are more people these days Google the Bible than reading the Bible. Lively research had an article showed that Americans love God and love the Bible, but fuzzy on the details. This story helped you to help sort out the fuzziness of detail. A country preacher went looking for a job. The interviewing committee of finally interviewing him, they asked him, do you know much about the Bible? The preacher said, oh yeah, I know the Bible through and through. What is your favorite book? They asked. My favorite book is Mark. What my favorite, uh, what's your favorite part? My favorite part is the parables. Oh yeah, what's your favorite parable? My favorite parable is the one about the Good Samaritan. Can you tell the committee more? The preacher said, oh, go like this. Once there was a preacher traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked him. 
And as he went on, he didn't have any money, and he met the Queen of Sheba. She gave him thousands of talents of gold and thousand changes of raiment, clothing. And he got into a chariot and drove furiously. He was driving so furiously, he drove under a juniper tree. And his head got caught on the limb of the tree. He hung there for many days. And the ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink. And he ate 5,000 loaves of bread and two fishes. Then one night, while he was hanging there asleep, his wife, Delilah, came along and cut off his hair. And he dropped and fell on the stony ground. But he got up and went on. As it happened, and it began to rain. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. So he hid himself in a cave, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Then he went on until he met a servant who said, come, let's have supper together. But he made an excuse and said, no, I won't. I marry a wife and cannot go. So the servant went out to the highways and hatches and compelled him to come in. After supper, he went on and came down to Jericho. When he got there, he looked up and saw the old Queen Jezebel sitting high up on the window. And she laughed at him, so he said, throw her down, out there, and they threw her down. Then he said, throw her down again, and they threw her down 70 times seven. <laughs> and of the fragment that remained, they picked up 12 baskets full, <laughs> beside women and children. They said, blessed are the peacemaker, P-I-E-C-E. <laughs> now, whose wife do you think she will be on the judgment day? <laughs> if you can sort out this de fuzzy detail, maybe your Bible uh, professor will give you an A. <laughs> Laughing beside, does the word of God richly dwell in us? Do we hide his word in our heart that we will not sin against him? Do we allow his word to be lamb of our feet and light of our path? Or are we fussy about all these details, about his commands and about his promises? We need to be people described in Psalm 1, 2 to 3, who delights is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night that we would be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever we do prospers. Point number three, give yourself fully to the Lord. In a choice abound, non-committal, in a multitasking world, we seem to want to wait until the very last minute in order that we have the best option. Because of FOMO, fear of missing out, we don't want to commit. We also seem to be everywhere and into everything, yet we are not quite in anything. Sometimes that mentality, attitude, also seen in our spiritual lives. We don't want to miss out what the world's offer. At the same time, deep down in us, we know that we want to commit to God. We want God's blessing in, as well. 
First King A61 said, and may your heart be fully committed to the Lord, your God. Jim 4.7 said, give yourself completely to God. Single-mindedness of heart, undivided heart, is very important in Christian life as we could contemplate, anticipate in serving God. If Jesus is to you like what Peter said to him in John 6.68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Then nothing or anything in the world deserve our loyalty. Give ourselves fully to God. Part of the lyric, what shall I give thee, master, is him. And I really like it. It says, what shall I give you, master? Though thou hast did die for me, shall I give less than what I possess, or shall I give all to thee? Jesus, my Lord and Savior, thou hast given all to me. Thou leave, left the home above to die in Calvary. And the chorus said, what shall I give to master? You have given all to me. Not just a part of my heart. Not just a part or half of my heart. I will give all to you. Come, commit yourself. Give yourself fully to the Lord. And number four, live a life of godliness. In a world when there is no absolute truth, when you can do whatever that pleases you, Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 1.3 that God has given us, each one of us, everything we need for life and godliness. Paul in Titus 2 said, reminds us that God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worthy and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright, and godly life as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to train ourselves to be godly in unrelenting, persevering effort to pursue godliness, to study diligently to practice God of godliness, in short, to live God-centered lifestyle. It seems that it's not common, uncommon this day for, if for some Christians to live together without being married, to engage sexually without the bond of marriage or in pornography how we need to be holy as the one who called us is holy. May God enable us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, by offering our life with open hands to him, by letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, by giving ourselves fully to him, and by living a life of godliness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us by giving your son, your only begotten son, to die on the cross for our sin, to restore our relationship with you. Lord, deep down in our heart, I believe many in this room want to love you with all of their being. Father, enable us, help us. You know, our hearts often wander from your love. Our commitment, we made the commitment, but sometimes our commitment has short-lived. But we do want to love you. We want to love you first so your love continues to fill us so that we can take the message. We can live, in, live such a life 
that people will be drawn to you because you live in us and because we love you. Help us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.